Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. National Pharmacies, proud sponsors of the National Pharmacies Sample Juniors Show. Welcome to Episode 5 of the Sample Junior Show. All thanks to National Pharmacies, proud sponsors and fans of the National Pharmacies Sample Junior Show and the Host Plus Sample League Under-18s free entry. Make sure you get to a game this weekend. Plenty going on on action in the Sample League. Well, we have a huge show coming up very shortly. We'll be chatting to the CEO of the Sammy D Foundation, Bridget Koenig. Can't wait to have a chat about that. Great supporters of the Sample Juniors competition. We'll also chat to Sample Head of Infrastructure, Belinda Marsh. She'll have some great um, great information about what's happening in infrastructure space of all the community clubs. And there's a lot going on, that's for sure. Um, the growth and participation of kids playing footy out there in the community requires more space. So it will be great to chat to Belinda. And we'll also be chatting... To one of my favourites, Crows AFLW rising star Brooke Tonin on her season that's just been and her season just coming, uh, back-to-back AFLW seasons in 2022. So a huge show, but right now we're joined by CEO of the Sammy D Foundation, Bridget Koenig. How are you going, Bridget? Hey, I'm really good. Thanks, Courtney. How are you? Well, thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Sample Juniors show. Um, tell us a bit about the Sammy D Foundation and the link with Sample Juniors. Yeah, sure. So the foundation formed 14 years ago when a young man lost his life uh, to a single uh, one-punch incident uh, in a, at a house party. And his parents formed the organisation so that they could prevent something like this from ever happening again. So we've been working over the last couple of years with Sample Juniors really closely in particular, yeah, in the junior space so that we can look at that primary prevention piece and stop any violence happening in the future. Absolutely. Early intervention's the key, isn't it? And um, how, how do sample junior clubs get involved? Yeah, sure. So in a couple of weeks' time, on Friday the 17th and the 19th of June, we are going to have a Sammy D violence prevention round and any sample juniors club can get involved we're going to have blue armbands. We're going to have a few other um, supporting materials to help clubs fully understand what it means to say no to violence and yes to mateship uh, at an early age in their junior career. And it's something that obviously is sprinkled throughout schools uh, out in the community these days too. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a bit about um, some of the education programs that the Sammy D Foundation also run. Yeah, definitely. We do spend a lot of time in our in schools, um, talking about bullying, provi- uh, bullying prevention, violence prevention, alcohol and drug education. But with regards to sample juniors, the last couple of years, uh, thanks to one of our sponsors, SA Power, we've been able to 
educate um, young people around violence prevention and also being able to speak to um, their parents uh, regarding, you know, that positive role modelling, sideline behaviours, etc. So that's been a really, really awesome opportunity. And, you know, even um, we're going out to clubs this year and they're getting us back year after year to continue to um, create that positive club, club culture. And just tell us a bit about that education piece because to have um, people come into your football clubs and, and deliver such programs, um, it can be quite impactful and, and um, really... Uh, the the kids take away a few messages, but also, as you mentioned, the, the parents play a really important role on the sidelines as role models as well. So um, when when Sammy D does come into your club, what does that look like? Yeah, sure. So, you know, we are, um, we're a really um, adaptable organisation. So it's really what the club um, needs. We can um, look at bespoke kind of programs, but this one in particular is around um, like a presentation uh, around the, you know Sam's story, and to um, they sit there, um, parents sit there with their um, young children, and they hear the same story together, and then after 45 minutes and that presentation has ended, we actually split the groups, so um, the young people and the young players go off with other facilitators and they focus in advanced prevention workshop, which is age appropriate while the parents stay with another facilitator and have a positive role modelling session where they um, talk about, you know, why kids are engaged in sport and how they, how as parents or as, you know, officials or club um, club volunteers, how they can support young people in having, you know, really positive time on and off the field. Uh, it's a fantastic program, um, the Sammy D Foundation, and obviously um, the story of Sam... Um, is just, um, it's really touching and it's fantastic that this foundation has been created in his honour. Um, tell us a bit about those days and, and where the foundation was first established. Yeah, sure. Well, I guess initially the um, initially the foundation, obviously, out of a tragedy, they wanted to um, ensure that, I guess, ultimately, Sam's friend had, had something to do, something positive to do. But as they saw the impact that they had on young people when they did share his story, other people jumped on and got involved. And Sammy D is really like a family, and everyone is involved um, from the you know from any role, um, including our board. We have volunteer board members. Um, we have a volunteer program subcommittee. We have volunteer business development subcommittee. All of those people um, are there to and trying to end violence with our organisation. So we are very lucky that we still have that kind of grassroots feel, just like a sporting club and a sporting association. Um, you know, uh, the father is still involved in our organisation and does sometimes deliver our programs. Um, but our organisation has grown and we're educating 30,000 young people a year. So there's a number of um, trained facilitators that head out now. So, you know, we feel very privileged and uh, to be able to do this and, and try and end violence in our community. Now, Bridget, uh, I heard that there is a hashtag trending, Schnitties for Sam. Can you tell us a bit about <laughs> a bit about that, Schnitties for Sam? Yeah, no worries. Well, um, a few years ago, um, when I when I first started with the foundation, um, we didn't do a lot to commemorate Sam's death, and I was speaking to the founder Neil Davis, and and we went out for lunch 
on that day and we had a schnitzel. It was the last it was the last thing that Sam ate. He played for South LA Footy Club on that day, kicked a few goals when had a schnitty at his local um at the local club and went out to a party and never returned home. So we came up with the idea of perhaps we could just go to a um a local hotel and have a schnitty together um and call it schnitty for Sam that night. Um COVID happened and no one could go to hotels or anywhere really. And so we did an online fundraiser and called it Schnitty for Sam. And now it's a, um, you mark it in your calendars because you can have a Schnitty for Sam anywhere, no matter in the where in the world you are. And you can be involved in this movement. Um, and it's, it's another opportunity to have a discussion with, you know, your friends, family, kids, whoever, about the importance of um, saying no to violence, no matter what. Oh, what a, a fantastic idea. Schnitties for Sam. It is trending. Hashtag Schnitties for Sam. <laughs> um, jump on Insta or Twitter and you'll be able to see the movement in action. Uh, a couple of the pubs that are um, actually on board with this, the Woody Hotel down there in the west, you've got the Goody, yeah. the Goody Hotel in the east. Um, there's actually uh, a couple of others, the Emu Hotel, I'm not sure where that is, but... Um, yeah, there's 30-odd that join this year. You can get to a pub and, and have a schnitty for Sam. And uh, you just jump on and, and hashtag schnitty for Sam. Is that how it works, Bridget? That's as easy as that, yeah. We normally do it around May 4th, but um, we actually encourage that, you know, at any time you can have that conversation. And, um, yeah, we've got other uh, leagues and associations that jump on board a bit later in the year as well. So, Yes, Schnitty for Sam can happen anytime, Courtney. I hope you did your Schnitty for Sam. Oh, I will be doing a few Schnitties for Sam. My favourite, <laughs> the chicken parmy. I'll make sure yeah. I, I certainly have one for Sam. The The other one was um, my favourite um, Sammy D engagement was your beautiful beanies. And it's getting to cold weather <laughs> of a Sunday morning and a Friday night for those out at the National Pharmacy's Sample Juniors competition that they'll need a beanie. Tell us a bit about the merch yeah. you got on offer from Sammy D because um, that beanie is the best beanie I've ever had. Yeah, awesome. That's good to hear. We actually are rocking him around the office now too. Um, in fact, actually, last night I um, saw our ambassador, Sam Jacobs. He was rocking his beanie in our Drossen, so he must have been at training or, or something up there. So these beanies can be found on our website. There is um, two different styles. One's grey, one's navy and white. Um, all supporting Sammy D Foundation. They're 20 bucks, and you can order it online. You can come pick it up from the office or we can do it, yeah, send it in the post to you. Well, listeners, you need to jump on that beanie because it's the warmest thing I've ever had and it looks pretty cool. <laughs> if, if Big Sauce Jacobs can rock it, I think anyone can rock it. Um, he's clearly yeah. he's clearly taking in all the cold weather up there in um, Ardrossan on the, the York Peninsula. Um, also, you mentioned, Bridget, the way Sample Juniors clubs can get involved um, definitely mm. on the day uh, wearing those blue armbands. Um, how do they go about getting them? Yeah, sure. So that um, is uh, a good question. And actually go back to your Sample Juniors coordinator, I believe. So through your Sample Juniors um, headquarters there. Um, but you can also come to Sammy D Foundation and, and ring one of the team, um, which our phone number is on our website. And yeah, we can send you in the right direction. It's uh, such a fantastic thing to get involved with um, in your community. Um, the Say No to Violence um, program um, and obviously encouraging mateship throughout. And I think sport's just obviously one of those things that 
creates that mateship. Um, it comes naturally in a in a sport like footy. Um, is it easy to talk to a, a group of kids about um, you know such a, a a serious topic, Bridget? Yeah. Yeah, our team does an amazing job. Actually, one of our values is fun because we, um, while we talk about very serious topic, we do need to have fun as well. And young people do need to be able to see that that we're all about, you can still have fun. You can still go out and have a good time. You can still go out and party. But you, number one is you look after your mate. So um, if your mate's getting a bit too heated, um, you know, grab them and walk away. Um, knowing those warning signs and just being a good mate in general um, if we are, we could uh, definitely save lots of um, these violent incidents and, you know, um, the the one-punch um, hits. Fantastic. Well, Bridget Koning, the CEO of the Sammy D Foundation, a huge weekend coming up on the 17th and 19th of June um, for the Sammy D Foundation in the Sample Juniors competition. If you're a club listening in tonight, make sure you jump on and get involved, um, get connected with the Sammy D Foundation to have them come into your club and and really deliver on such a a great message in saying no to violence and creating that mateship uh, amongst your club and your community um, is huge. So to the Sammy D Foundation, all the best. Make sure you get on and get a schnitty for Sam um, and I'll be rocking my uh, Sammy D beanie this weekend in the cold weather. Thanks, Bridget, for joining us. Awesome. Thanks so much, Courtney. Now it's time for our first break of the show. All thanks to the National Pharmacies, proud sponsors of the Sample Junior Show. The Host Plus Sample League. Under 18's free entry. Get to a game this weekend. You're listening to the Sample Junior Show thanks to National Pharmacies. Proud sponsors and fans of the National Pharmacies Sample Junior Show and the Host Plus Sample League, where under 18's are free entry. So make sure you get out to a game this weekend. Well, we're joined now by Belinda Marsh, who's the Sample Infrastructure Manager. That's a bit of a tongue twister. Uh, Belinda, welcome to the show. Thanks, Connie. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Thanks for joining us. It's great to have you on the Sample Junior Show. Uh, we'll be chatting to you about a bit about your role today. So take us through what infrastructure manager actually means. So my role, Courtney, is to um, guide the development of football infrastructure across the state. Um, so lots of people think, oh, why do you need to do that? We've already got lots of ovals and lots of football clubs, but... As you know, our sport is developing into different target groups. And so all across the state, from grassroots through to Sandfall, we need um, to improve those facilities and make sure they're still meeting the needs of our players and our volunteers um, and sort of meeting those community expectations. So, yeah, so it's a big job. Um, We have about 300 grounds uh, and venues across the state. Um, So it's about working with each one of those to, to get them up to spec. And I suppose um, what comes to mind is the the massive increase in females playing football. And I suppose it was only about five or so years ago that it came to light that infrastructure and community footy clubs around the grounds needed an upgrade to, um, you know, accommodate the the women playing the sport. So take us through those days and um, how it's come so far. Absolutely. So, you know, in 2010, um, for, for every for every female team that was around in 2010, we have about 13 or 14 teams now. So 
Uh, female participation in the game has definitely been the driver for positions such as mine and and um, facility development in football because you know we've all, we've all been there. We've all, all been into change rooms and and they're pretty male male dominated. Um, you know. Not many cubicles or safe spaces for people to, uh, for females to sort of use bathrooms and 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 meet those needs. So um, yeah, that was sort of what triggered um, these types of roles. And it's about going in and making sure that those change rooms and facilities now meet um, females' needs. Um, but also, um, I guess our expectations now for safe environments for children. Um, and also, I guess, for our volunteers, there's a lot more diversity in our volunteers. So even with our, when female, uh, sorry, when football teams are, are male dominated, there still might be a lot of female volunteers. So it's just still making sure that those environments can meet those needs. Um, so I go in and I see a lot of um, rose head showers and open showers and urinals and all those types of things. And we sort of want to start um, phasing those out of our game and, and just bringing in sort of more um, contemporary facilities. And if you were to, to point your finger at one particular area of a facility that um, most comes to mind in terms of what's needed uh, to rectify in terms of a, a facility upgrade across those 300 grounds that you mentioned, what what's the, ma the majority of upgrades involve? So the majority, um, the, the priority is those change rooms, um, both for players but also for umpires. So, um, you know, we wanted to we want to increase the diversity of umpiring uh, umpires in our game. Um, so, we really need to make sure that those um, change facilities and toilet and shower facilities are up to community expectations. Um, so, yeah, change rooms are definitely the priority. Um, but the next one that we're really looking to do is to increase lighting across the state at our ovals and um, really just to increase the capacity to play nighttime matches if we need to because, you know, with the increase in female sport, we, we need more time on our ovals. Um, and so we need to increase um, the lighting and the ability to actually do match, match practice, uh, sorry, match competition at nighttime. Uh, so lighting would be the second priority. Um, and then just making sure that our surfaces um, can sustain the capacity um, that we're seeing at some of these ovals. Some of these ovals, you know, you go out on a Thursday night and they are absolutely chock-a-block. <laughs> um, and we need to make sure that we're either spacing that out or we're increasing um, the surfaces' capacity to be able to handle that much traffic. So um, growth is fantastic, um, but, it, but it, you know, it, there's a sustainability issue there that we need to address for facilities. Absolutely. And Belinda, I was just going to ask you, I'm sure you're not a miracle worker to create more green space, but, you know, we do go, <laughs> we do go around the grounds and see multiple juniors teams, um, you know, uh, they're in a small pocket of, of an oval and there's probably about five teams on one oval trying to get their training session done. Ground availability yep. is definitely uh, the issue with these increased participation numbers. So what's the answer to that? Yeah, that's something that we're looking at, um, particularly in the metropolitan area. So our projections show that we probably, you know, in the next 10, 10 years uh, need, you know, around about 15 extra ovals. Now, that's not about finding new green space because we can't keep pushing out, but we can start looking at um, alternative spaces. So we want to look at um, accessing schools. Um, schools have fantastic facilities and green space. 
Um, so trying to partner with the education department and schools more to access those facilities. Um, but also, you know, looking at things that are a bit different. Um, there might be space in the parklands or even um, uh, uh, South Australian Jockey Club have come up with um, a really great concept where um, they're proposing to put sports fields in the middle of the race course at Morfittville. So um, looking at some initiatives like that to open up some of the existing green space, particularly in the metropolitan area. And you hear a number of clubs uh, working closely with councils. Um, so what role do you, Belinda, play um, from a Sandville infrastructure um, perspective in terms of assisting clubs through that process with council? Yeah, so we try and um, really be that conduit between um, clubs and councils where they need it. A lot of our clubs already have really great um, relationships with their council. Um, but, you know, we can go in and support the club um, with those discussions of, you know, what they need from a real football operations perspective. Because sometimes, um, you know, a council or councillors won't understand, you know, why do you need a medical room? Why do you need two change rooms? Those types of things. So... You know, we're really um, able to come from a, a, a really solid evidence base to um, show the council um, the types of facilities that we need just to run a, run a football game and, and training. So, and also, I guess, illustrating the benefit that a football club has to the community. Um, some people, some, you know, councils might think, oh, that's just one club and, um, you know, it, it, it might be an elite sporting club or something like that, but... Football clubs um, have a huge social benefit um, to the surrounding community and a huge economic benefit as well. So um, we did a, a report last year where we found that our Sandful clubs contribute or have a, an economic impact of about $10 million per year per club um, at a Sandful level. So, it's, you know, they're a really important part of the social and economic environment of each community. So it's our role to sort of illustrate that to councils and support clubs um, in their discussions with council. Fantastic. You heard it first here. Belinda Marsh is her name. Make sure you pick up the phone, uh, give the Sanford a call and get her out to, to help you assist in your infrastructure upgrade. Um, if there's any community clubs out there at the moment that are going through that process and you haven't already touched base with Belinda um, a wealth of knowledge, uh, Belinda. Um, that's fantastic. You do have a, a few key projects going on at the moment. Would you mind just taking us um, through them? I, I heard Golden Grove um, is one of those. Uh, what's happening there? Yes, yeah, so um, as you know, Golden Grove Football Club is one of our largest clubs um, in the state. Um, huge numbers there um, and they've got access to um, brilliant harvest field with the two ovals and the facilities and you know the council's looking at investing there in um, in those facilities and and making sure that uh, the club and the football operations um, is expanding and meeting community expectations so we're working with the clubs and the council just to go through design so it's still really early um, but it's a it's a uh, I guess there's mixed funding in there. There's there's a bit of, there's lots of council funding, but also federal funding um, into that project. Um, so yeah, we just sort of go in and, and assist with designs, and, and I'm sure that will go out to community consultation soon. But um, yeah, it should be uh, a facility that will meet the needs of that growing club for sure. And it's a, a certainly a fantastic um, space already that exists up there. I was out there. Not that long ago with the under 17 and a half uh, girls in the Sample Juniors competition um, on a cold Friday night. It does get a bit uh, chilly up there, but 
the space that's available with the two ovals for, for Golden Grove, um, they're the kookaburras, actually, the good old kookaburras. But the space available up there and, and there's also some netball and tennis courts, um, what that could, could become is just exciting um, for the whole community. Yeah, exactly. And, and I was the same, Courtney, I was up there the other week um, with my son's team and, and it really is a great vibe when you've got both of those ovals pumping. Um, and uh, But, you know, there are some downfalls as far as accessibility and, and car parking and, and I think my son was changing in the bottom shed and those types of things. So certainly some improvements that can happen there for sure. And now another key project that um, is uh, underway is also the Plimpton and Morpherville um, area. So tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so this is um, just a really early concept stage and you would have seen um, SAJC went out public um, uh, proposing um, an infield sports development in the middle of the race course. And that would benefit um, both the Plimpton um, Football Club um, which is just up the road, Plimpton Cricket Club, and also Glenelg um, Football Club as well as a second oval for them as a training facility. So they're proposing two ovals in the middle there with um, lights and, and, you know, just uh, change and, you know, footy, footy ops um, facilities. Um, it's a really great innovative project. Um, it's going to unlock um, green space and actually make it usable. Um, for the community, um, and it's just so needed in that area. Um, so obviously the project um, will be seeking funding um, from various bodies, and that's where we're at now. Um, but, you know, hopefully um, people can come on board and, and we can, you know, really start getting our teeth stuck into that one. And it's been something that we've traditionally done, obviously, in, in country sports. We've had netball facilities and football facilities together um, is this a, a moving space now in terms of how we can collaborate not only with um, other community football clubs but other sports to, to gain funding to, to get better facilities? Yeah, definitely. There has to be a shared um, um, approach to funding um, and so we will often uh, collaborate with cricket because, you know, we're obviously both using ovals. Um, but, yeah, the traditional um, football netball relationship still exists as well. So, you know, when it comes to building club rooms and change rooms, we really want to see the netballers actually get something out of those um, facilities as well. Um, but they're starting to bring in lots of different sports into um, football precincts. Um, you know, there's a few football-baseball combinations. Um, uh, you know, we might see eventually some indoor um, facilities open up um, both for netball and, and cricket um, that might join into a football precinct as well. So definitely um, going in together is the way to go, um, but it's obviously just needing to balance that, um, particularly with, you know, because of the growth of our sport and, and it is starting to go, um, you know, 12 months of the year for football, um, it is difficult to... to try and um, come to an arrangement for some of those facilities. But, yeah, we're trying to work through that. And an, an example that I can think of off the top of my head is uh, over in Melbourne at Amy Park, you have the, the Melbourne Storm in the NRL, you have the Melbourne Victory in the, the A-League, and then you've also got the Melbourne Demons all in under the one roof in such fantastic facilities. Yeah. So definitely uh, something to think about for all those community clubs out there. But... Belinda, that's all we have time for, and it's just been fantastic talking to you, getting an understanding of everything that's happen happening out there from an infrastructure point of view. So thanks for joining the Sample Junior Show.
Thanks, Courtney. And like you said, if there's any clubs out there that are interested in um, investigating a new project, please make sure you get in touch um, and we can sort of help guide you onto what the, the next steps are to, to improve your facilities. Fantastic. Now, that was Belinda Marsh, the Sample Infrastructure Manager, and it's now time for a break for National Pharmacies, proud sponsors of the Sample Junior Show. The Host Plus Sample League, under-18s free entry. Get to a game this weekend. You're listening to the Sample Junior Show thanks to the National Pharmacies, proud sponsors of fans of the National Pharmacies Sample Junior Show and the Host Plus Sample League where under-18s are free entry. Make sure you get to a game this weekend. Well, I'm super excited by our next guest uh, because she is a legend uh, playing in the AFLW for the Adelaide Crows, Brooke Tonin. Welcome to the Sample Junior Show. Thank you very much, CJ. I'm excited. How good to be on the show. It's great to have an AFLW superstar uh, on the show. Um, Probably our first for the season, which is fantastic. So welcome. Um, Brooke, what I'm going to do is let's take the listeners on a journey through your career as a footy player. Started back uh, in East Gambia. You are from the Mount. Tell us how you started being involved in football. Yeah, um, I was actually on my way to netball trials at East Gambia, my second club for netball. I was about nine years old and I saw a little girl kicking the footy with the boys and I thought, oh, that looks like a bit of fun because Jim was heading out to training anyway, my little brother, to, um, to footy. So I thought, oh, I'll give it a crack. So... I played footy when I started playing when I was nine and back in 2013 for East and I balanced netball and footy. I kept playing, I played with the boys, obviously. We didn't have any girls' competitions then. I played with the boys right through to about 20, 2019. Wow. So you've grown up playing um, amongst the boys. Do you think that's contributed to um, your, yeah, excelling your skills as a footballer? Um, yeah, definitely. I think it's had some... Um, involvement obviously yeah couldn't play with the girls didn't there were no competitions in that Gambia then and so playing with the boys was kind of the only opportunity and they'd been playing they've been around footy their whole lives guys have grown up with it like kind of an expectation to play footy or to be involved in sports somehow so I think learning with them when they've grown up with it really helped me um get better with my skills and through the club as well I trained with A grade men a few times and just some one-on-one sessions with them so I was able to really develop my skills through learning with the guys. That's fantastic and um, obviously East Gambia and the competition down there um, has come on in leaps and bounds. Is there um, people that are like girls that are nine years of age now are they able to play in a pure women's league? Yeah um, we have a women's competition came about oh, not long before I went to move to Adelaide, there was a all-ages competition and now there's an under-16s competition as well. Um, it's not a very long season and there's only a few teams, but it's still great to see that um, there is enough participation down in the country for where girls actually want to pursue footy from a young age and to have um, a lot of teams come through for all ages and all experiences to yeah really get amongst playing footy. Um, it's awesome to see. And you mentioned your brother there. He was um, obviously involved in footy himself and um, that's how you kind of got involved, uh, still playing netball, of course. Um, have you got bragging rights over your brother now, having played AFLW? I do a bit. He doesn't even play football anymore, so I think <laughs> it outgrew him in that respect. But he's playing basketball, so he's loving that. 
And you did mention um, you, of course, made your way down to Adelaide. Tell us all how that came about. Yeah, um, so obviously the, the Glenelg have the under-14s competitions for juniors. So um, they had that was the first time I kind of trained and um, played footy with girls. So when I was, yeah, 13, um, Glenelg is... Glenelg Zone is the limestone coast, so I was invited out to trial. Um, and did a few trainings there. They had a little competition of about three three or so games, and then they pick you for the state team. So the state squad, sorry, if, um, if they think you're suited and you're um, good enough to play. So I played in the first under-16s, Sandful girls' state team, um, and then I made that team the next year. And the next year... When I was a top ager, I made friends with a girl called Matilda and her dad was the head of boarding at Scotch College. And it was about that time when I was getting to the point where I couldn't keep missing school to travel to Adelaide to play footy, like missing school, dad taking time off work, taking me to training. <laughs> so we thought it would be best to, um, we thought it would be a good opportunity to kind of explore options in Adelaide. So fortunately, um, David Scholes, his name, approached us about coming to Scotch College and I was fortunate enough to move there for year 11 and 12 where I was able to pursue footy full-time and also go to school, which was, yeah, awesome. Cannot be more grateful. It's a fantastic story and one that uh, people growing up in um, country, South Australia, should absolutely connect to and aspire um, from because, uh, Brooke, you've you've come a long way and your parents certainly travelled a long way. Um, you must be very grateful <laughs> grateful to them, to all that they've been able to contribute to your footy career so far. Yeah, no, I, the sacrifices that they've made and like be able to send me to school there and travelling and everything, I could, yeah, I wouldn't be here without them. And, and take me back to travelling down here, um, obviously being involved in Glenelg for the very first time and then um, having the opportunity to make that under-16 state team, that must have been a very proud moment for yourself and your family. Yeah, no, because I've yeah, never been a part of girls' footy before and to be able to take those opportunities as they came, it was really, yeah, exciting. And, just, yeah, fantastic to be able to see how much women's footy was growing. So, I didn't, yeah, never thought I'd have those opportunities as a little girl. And the under-16 side that year was, um, did you travel that year or uh, take us through the championships back then? Um, yeah, in under 16s, we played one game. So we trained every weekend for six months. So mum and dad, well, dad would drive me out every weekend to train. And then I made the final team. Um, and we played in Horsham against Vic Metro, I think. Um, we didn't win, but it was, yeah, it was a fantastic experience. And then the next year, we played in Mount Gambia, which was awesome. Um, and I was vice captain of the side. And we were the first South Australian alone team to beat Vic Country. So, yeah, that was unreal and then yeah we were able to be a standalone team the next year in the under 18 comp that's fantastic and take hang on a sec six months of training every weekend for one game yes <laughs> they changed it the next year when the crows academies came in but yeah six months for one game seemed like a lot but i definitely learned my development that year was pretty unreal um, i learned heaps through the coaches and like robbie neal and stuff was involved so yeah definitely got to meet a, a few really important people on my journey Robbie Neal, the, the great man from Norwood. And you've um, been connected with the Crows Academy that you just mentioned. Take us through how that all came about and um, some of your experiences there. Yeah, um, my second year playing Glenelg Juniors, instead of picking you for the state squad, I picked you for um, 
the Crows Academy. That was he was in that Sturt, um, Glenelg, North Adelaide and Centrals. And then the other four Sandsville teams were in the Port Academy. And then we trained and then they'd pick a team um, for the Crows girls and we'd do showdowns against Port. And um, yeah, three showdowns. I think I don't think we won one, but that's okay. They won one this year, which is good. <laughs> um, and then yeah, they picked the state team from that. So rather than training a long time for one game, we got to train with different staff, different coaches, play a few more games, then play train with the state team, and then play another game. So that, I thought that worked really well. When you get to learn all different things from all different people. And you mentioned you, you made the big move down here and started boarding at Scotch College and um, met, obviously, Matilda Scholes, who um, has had a fantastic uh, uh, season with Glenelg Football Club in the Sample W competition this year. Um, and it was through her dad, um, who looks after the boarding at Scotch, that you made the big move to Adelaide. Tell us about that. And uh, it's obviously going well for you. Yeah, um, yeah, David is a great guy. Obviously, I was really close friends with Matilda and her younger sister, Poppy. He's also doing very well with Glenelg. Um, I played, I didn't know much of Matilda that year for State or through Crows Academy, but um, she told her dad that I was driving up every weekend and her dad approached my parents um, to consider moving me to Adelaide. And Mum and Dad were a bit hesitant. They thought they'd miss me too much. But um, they, we ultimately thought that it was the best opportunity for me to pursue footy. And if something was going to grow from it, then that would be probably one of the only ways to pursue um, was to move away rather than missing school, which is also really important. So he um, took me for a tour of the school and we thought it was, yeah, a great, great um, opportunity. And I got to play school football there. I got to um, really focus on my academics, which is like, really important to me as well. Um, yeah, it was one of the best things I've ever done. Um, just the experience as well of moving away from home having to learn a bit of independence and then meeting so many new people, um, new people who I'm really close with now. And Brooke, you, you mentioned the importance of um, completing school, but also following your dreams in sport. And uh, absolutely, since you've uh, come into the Adelaide Crows four walls, um, you've been nothing but uh, mature about how you've gone about it for such a young person um, with plenty ahead of you. You were also um, represented South Australia in the under-19 AFLW Championships um, and you received the call up for the AFLW Academy in mid-year. So take us through that. Yeah, um, I yeah obviously played the champs. I played um, first game against WA in SA and I was really proud of my performance. I honestly didn't think much of getting drafted at the start of the year because I didn't I didn't really perform in the Sandful the year before, so I wasn't really um, expecting anything. But I was performing really well in the Sandful. I was thought maybe I actually could could get drafted, which was yeah, it was really thrill thinking that I could actually do it. And then um, coming through to the champs, I played the first game against the country in Melbourne, and I got red carded. So I thought, well, that's it, that's me done. <laughs> um, but then a few weeks later, um, I got a call from Tyson Locker at the AFW Academy asking to play. Um, yeah, that telling me that I was going to be involved in the academy and that I was asked to play in the um, All-Australian game, which was going to be against Collingwood um, VFLW, I think. But unfortunately, that got canned because of COVID. But, um, yeah, I was really I was surprised and I was, yeah, I was feeling really excited that other people were seeing um, things in me. So, yeah, that really filled me with a lot of confidence. 
and um, obviously a great experience and exposure to the next stage of your footy career, which was being drafted to the Adelaide Crozier. We're able to play three matches um, in your first season, which is fantastic, um, and went about it in all the right ways. Um, take us through um, that moment of being drafted into the AFLW. Yeah, um, that was probably the best day of my life, still probably is, um, <laughs> when yeah, I got the call from Doc saying that they were going to draft me. And then obviously draft night, when everyone found out, that was such a good feeling that you'd made it to the top level and that um, everyone saw the same things in you that you thought you could show other people. So it was, yeah, absolutely. There's no other words to describe it really, um, to be able to make the top top level in your, what you're passionate about it's unreal and then to um I wasn't expecting to play any games so I was just taking everything in the stride and then to be able to play two games and in, in a final that was yeah awesome and I'm sure the the phone was uh going off bananas uh on the night that you got drafted <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> a lot of Instagram stories <laughs> 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 and overnight, did you get uh, 10,000 more followers on Twitter and Instagram? Oh, yeah, that was probably one of the best perks. Nah. Um, <laughs> a bit of publicity, nah. It was um, pretty cool that your name was out there and then you were on the same level as everyone you'd been idolising from when you were watching in 2017 to be yeah, playing and training alongside like Anne Hatchard, Eddie Marinoff, Aaron Phillips. Yeah, it's crazy. And um, obviously in your first year, uh, lots of career highlights, your first game, um, and then obviously the 2022 Premiership as well, um, being part of that and such a successful club. Um, if you could pick a highlight from your first season, what would that be? Oh, I reckon the, the grand final was a lot of fun um, <laughs> to be able to be a part of a Premiership side. Um but I think for me personally, I enjoyed the prelim finals to play in front of a lot of people at Adelaide Oval for the Adelaide Crows and to yeah win to get into a premiership side. That was awesome. Like just running through the um, the banner and the smoke on the side, that was, yeah, nothing like it. Only something you'd dream of. So, yeah, that was probably my highlight this year, I reckon. Fantastic. And we know the AFLW season will be back for two seasons in 2022. Are we going to do two in 2022, Brooke Tonin? Oh, definitely. <laughs> it's the challenge amongst all 18 clubs now, uh, all represented in the AFLW competition. Uh, Brooke Tonin, it's been fantastic chatting to you and hearing your journey and story um, to the AFLW. There's a lot of young girls that are playing sample juniors now for the National Pharmacies Competition that are wanting to be the next Brooke Tonin. So it's fantastic to see. But Brookie, thanks for joining us on the Sample Juniors Footy Show. Thank you very much, CJ. That was Brooke Tonin from the Adelaide Crows for the Sample Juniors Show. All thanks to the National Pharmacies, proud sponsors and fans of National Pharmacies Sample Juniors Show and the Host Plus Sample League where under-18s are free entry. The Host Plus Sample League, under-18s free entry. Get to a game this weekend. Welcome back to the show. Thanks to National Pharmacies. That's all we've got time for. What a show it has been. We heard from the CEO of the Sammy D Foundation, Bridget Koenig. We also heard from Belinda Marsh about all the work that's going on 
in Sample around infrastructure and the superstar, Brooke Tonin. But that's all we've got time for and that's a wrap and the show couldn't come to you without the support of National Pharmacies and Host Plus. We'll see you next week. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.